You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hey y'all, Bridget here. On this episode, we had Lincoln Chinnery, cocktail journalist, spirited nerd, and intellectual badass. Lincoln writes about spirits and cocktails for spy.com and has a featured column in the celebrated American Whiskey Magazine. He shared with us his unique journey into the world of journalism. And we spent, folks, a couple of months working really hard behind the scenes to find a special surprise when we knew that Lincoln would be on our show. Someone that's been a big influence in his career and very special to all of us in the beverage industry. So join us on this episode to find out who our special guest is and to learn all about the incredible Lincoln Chinnery. Grab your favorite Maker's Mark cocktail and enjoy the show. Lincoln, welcome to Served Up. Julie and I are really happy to have you on today's show. I'm happy to be here. I'm I'm honored to be here. Can you tell us um, what really inspired you to start a writing career? I'm going to say, and it's probably not the most popular answer, I hated my job. I needed an outlet for a lot of the creative juices that I had, have. And the job that I had when I started, I wasn't happy with. Yeah, I needed an outlet. And it goes to being a creative stuck in a non-creative job if Whoever's listening, if you're creative, you have to get that out. You have to express it because if you don't, you will sour inside. You will, you will waste so much time. And I'm going to say I wasted some time until a friend of mine gave me that outlet, gave me a chance to, to fill that outlet. And ever since then, it's been, it's been an amazing ride. I hope to continue it after this quarantine. But yeah, it's, it was just like I, I needed... I need to put pen to paper. That's incredible. So how many years ago was that, Lincoln, like in your career? Uh, I started writing about cocktails and bars in 2006. Yeah, about 2006. Uh, a friend of mine, PJ, she got me a, a writing gig at Edge Publications. They needed a bar reviewer. And I was like, yeah, I, I know a little bit about bars. And the the twist is, uh, Edge is a LGBT site. So they're like, do you mind going to gay bars and writing about them? I'm like, as long as they serve me drinks and the drinks are okay. Yeah, sure. I don't care. Like I'm a native New Yorker. So it's like, yes, I can go into any bar because I can go into any bar. It's New York. That's awesome. So prior to that, how did your friend know that you were a writer? I mean, did you always know you were a writer or how did that kind of connect for you? I always enjoyed writing. And then my friend PJ, we were at, we worked at a, uh, an event 
uh, for free cycle, giving people uh, closing and whatnot, just for free, just like, you know, closing furniture. And we had this one event where someone was just a complete uh, A word. And I wrote this email afterwards to her just describing what was right and what was wrong with the thing. And, and I think the, the, the line that she stuck on was splintered cricket bat. And she, she wrote and she's like, have you ever considered writing? Have you ever considered doing that for a career? And I'm like, oh, maybe a little bit. Yeah. And uh, I had come to find out that PJ used to be an editor at Rolling Stone. So it was just one of those things. It's like, so wait, this person at this professional level liked what I did just in an email. That's got to be something. So then she got me to Edge and, oh my God, Edge got me to Metro Mix, which is which was AM New York. And then that got me a whole bunch of places. And then the Alcohol Professor, Voda. Yeah, it's just like random sites and random publications from 2006 to now. Wow, that's what a journey that is. So were you in, you weren't in the liquor industry. So your first kind of big job as a writer was to go and write about these bars. So what mm-hmm. was that experience? And, and were you familiar with the bar industry, the liquor industry? I was familiar in the fact that I had been to way too many bars. <laughs> you know what? I had been, like in my head, I, I had always had opinions about places. And before I didn't think to jot them down. But I always kept a list of, of where I, what bars I had been to and what bars I wanted to go to. And like future side note, I have a running Google map of every bar I've hit in the U.S. Um, like from when I started drinking to, to now. And it's like every once in a while, a memory will pop up. I'm like, oh, yeah, we were at this bar at one time and I'll go to the map and I'll add that. I, I had it in me to to write and review about bars. Um, in high school, my major was culinary arts, so I learned about and cooking and, and hospitality. So I take that with me whenever I, I go to a bar and I see service and I see, like, oh, wow, they're slow on this, they're fast on that, they're good with this, you know. And, and I took that with me when I started writing about bars. I do believe that you have to have a true like, yeah, yeah, absolutely, Lincoln. And I do think that you need to have like a real passion for our industry. I say this almost every single episode. You either love this industry or you really don't. And you found something that you absolutely love um, creatively about this industry where you can share stories. But a lot of your stories really circle around the category of whiskey. Can you tell us about your, your love for that category and how did that develop for you? I can, I can go, I can tell you for me, it was through my grandmother, Rosella. (laughs) My love of whiskey came from my dislike of writing vodka reviews. Um, I wrote about 35, 40 vodka reviews in, in like from 2007 to 2008, maybe nine and peach vodka, lemon flavored vodka, chocolate, like, and I was just getting so tired of the the category and don't get me wrong i don't hate vodka i just there's only so many ways you can write crisp before your thesaurus smacks you in the face and says listen you need to do something else so then like after so many um i forgot i'm gonna say maker's mark reached out to me and asked oh would you like to try this 
and I tried to make his mark. And that was the beginning of, of, of a long and happy journey into, into brown gold. Um, let's see. Oh, so I've been to Brown Foreman. I've been to the Makers Distillery, Cooperage. And that really opened my eyes to the whole process, uh, watching the barrels get charred. Um, yeah, going to the Cooperage and seeing how the barrels are put together. I became a bit of a barrel nerd. Like um, the Brown Foreman barrels had BF on the rivets. And there was a point where I knew the absorption rate of certain woods when it came to when it, when it comes to barrels. So I was like, okay, you know, maybe I'm getting a little too deep. But I, I want to say it was, you know, it was a dislike of writing vodka reviews that got me into bourbon and whiskey and rye. That's really great. And I know that you wrote a really great article um, about bourbon in Brooklyn. And I think when most people think about historical stories of bourbon, it's always going back to Kentucky. So could you just give us kind of a summary of what you learned when you, when you researched and wrote that article? Okay, so I learned that Brooklyn prime real estate has covered up so much history of Brooklyn and bourbon, uh, Dumbo, Brooklyn Navy Yard, all of that originally, distilleries, and, and just there was such a rich history there that people, tend, people have forgotten it because it's been erased because developers have come in and put up how many other buildings and whatnot. And it's, it's a journey that I think an individual has to take on their own. I can, I can tell you, oh, yeah, you should look at this, you should look at that. But if you really want to enjoy Brooklyn, like appreciate the history, you have to dig into it. And even if it means going online and searching and, and putting on a mask and heading to the library, you should. Because it's just one of those things that's just it's fascinating. And I don't want to be the person that tells someone you have to do this. This is this is all about Brooklyn. If you, if you live here, this is what you should do. I want to be the person that says, listen, you're going to enjoy picking up these little tidbits and you're going to discover something wonderful. You know, I don't, I don't like to overhype or, or force someone into a library, but I want them to go and enjoy it and just do a little research and, and read and find out because you, you'll, you'll discover some amazing things. You'll find some dark things too, but you'll find some amazing things. Uh, absolutely. Um, who are some of your mentors that are journalists and writers, you know, people that you really ad admire and um, look up to in this industry? I know I have so many um, beverage professionals that I admire and really look at their path um, as a mentor. All right. So David Wondridge, I am a fanboy of his writing. Okay. Can you tell us about that? In the best possible way. Um, to write for Esquire and I was a longtime Esquire and GQ subscriber, not even reader, just subscriber. Mm -hmm. Every month I'd go through and I'd read everything about cocktails and bars and Wondridge was always there with something new and interesting. Like he was always ahead of the game right. to classic cocktails. And it's, he was so ahead of the game that he makes New York times look like 
like their food and, and drink section looked so archaic. And this was 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, and just his writing was so crisp and clear. Like the word hogo describing the funk uh, uh, rum collects in barrels. Mm-hmm. His piece on that has stuck with me and it's got to be at least 15 years. Yeah. Um, have you so, met him? I have met Wondrich a few times. The first time I met him, I fanboyed out and it was it was embarrassing. Um, I told him I had bought imbibed and punch. And I said, you know, I'm reading these. They're just so wonderful. They seem like a college textbook. And he said, so you highlighted a couple of pages and stood in the back of your trunk and left it alone. I'm like, no, no, I read the whole thing. I brought <laughs> like I was just I was embarrassed for myself um, afterwards. Well, I, and, I hope. I hope you don't mind that we did ask him to join to say hello to you. No. And he's on. David, welcome to oh. the show. We were really? hoping you... that you could say hi to Lincoln. And um, Hello, you... sir. I am surprised and double honored. Oh, my God. Mr. Wonders. Hey, Lincoln, how are you? Hey, good seeing you, sir. How are I you? I got to say, it's lovely to see your face. Uh, oh, you know. Thank you. We've been we've been locked up for a long time here in New York, and goddamn, yeah, yeah. I miss my I, people. I'm yeah. telling you right now, I I miss the uh, the rum rum porch. Um, I missed uh, if I can go to a Mario Margo without a mask, I, I'll be a happy man. Yeah. I mean, I, I also I miss all the you know random events where 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 I'd run into to you and you know a whole bunch of other people and we'd clean yeah. the glass and make some pleasant chit chat and you know pleasant chit chat is what makes life go by. It does. <laughs> it does. And uh, yeah, well, thank you so much for the kind words. I gotta say that's that's really inspiring. You know, I I've always always tried to uh, uh, write stuff that's helpful for people. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that sometimes it works. Oh, it did. Seriously. I forgot where it was, but we talked about, um, I think it was just after you left Esquire. And I said, if I can get all of your writing in one book, all of your Esquire pieces in one book, I'd be a happy man. And then I think like a year later it came out and I know I bought it. It's in the house. And it's just, it's, it's educational. It's inspiring. And it's how, it's how one should write about the history of cocktails and cocktails and bars. You know, it's not dry. It's got good humor. And it's got points where it's like, wait, I actually have to look up this word. <laughs> and you know what? That's, that's in, it's engaging. And that's what it should be. I try not to put too many of those in, but every once in a while, you know, uh, it kind of it gets away from me. But, no, you know, no, listen. Esquire, I was so lucky. I had such good editors. And that's, that's the thing that's really hard to get is, you know, just world-class editors. These people were, were the sharpest of the sharp, and they didn't let me get away with anything, <laughs> you know? I, I agree. One of the best editors I've had um, Amanda Schuster, she was at the Alcoba Professor. Now she's at Forbes. Yeah. Um, Amanda got me out of my my habit. I had a bad habit of making references to to long forgotten TV shows and just just inside jokes. And mm-hmm. she, thank goodness, beat that out of me and just recording <laughs> less jokes. And you know, I, I credit her for for a lot of the 
forward movement my writing has taken. You know, I like, mean, uh, Amanda, Amanda's a good person for sure and a great writer. Uh, she I is. Mean, I, I was fortunate enough early on to uh, to be writing about music for the Village Voice back when we had a Village Voice. You know, it was uh, like the uh, it was the uh, free. Uh, kind of underground newspaper at the time, but it had this guy, Chuck Eddie, who uh, was a rock critic, uh, was the editor of the section. And, and his rock criticism was some crazy, crazy stuff. It was, uh, it was, it was nuts and weird and uh, out there, but damn, he was a hard editor, you know? Yeah. He, like, he beat a lot of stuff out of me. It's, uh, it's crept back in, of course, but... <laughs> <laughs> Oh well, just a little uh, bit, yeah, just a little bit. But uh, for a while there, I, it was I, I was writing stuff that was pretty tight. <laughs> yeah, I, I I do credit Amanda for getting me for getting the tightness into my writing. I'll I'll always acknowledge it. Now I will never forget her for that. Yeah, it's it's a good lesson, you know. Uh, it's it's a good lesson to learn to not take it personally when people oh, yeah. say this isn't working. Yeah. You yeah, know, as I, a writer, I always find that's the hard part. In the beginning, I, I will say I took some, I took corrective criticism a little harshly. And then I did something a little outside the box. I joined a writing group. Uh-huh. And basically you go in, you write. And then if you decide to read, you read. And then the crowd gives you criticism. And hearing constructive. Oh, man from 30 people about your writing will toughen your skin. It's like, you know, maybe that line didn't make sense. I should take my ego out of the equation. Yeah. And then, and then that, that helped me as well. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, it's like bartending for, for writing, I think is, is you gotta, you gotta learn the techniques, you know, you gotta, there's, uh, I'm not talking about like big fancy writing. I'm just talking about like day-to-day -day writing, like, like I do, I think there's a lot of techniques that you just need to, you need to learn. And, and that kind of thing is, is really good training. It, it, it is, uh, I haven't done it long. I can't do it right now because of quarantine, but when I did do it, it, it really helped me focus. And like, if there are writers out there who are listening, it's like, I don't know if I should, you definitely should join a writing group just, just to get the experience. And then it's not only hearing the criticism, but learning how your words sound when you say them, how a sentence comes out. I, I, I don't know about you, sir, but I have rewritten a sentence at least 15 times. And it's just like, I, I know the words are there. It's just, I have to mold this clay in a certain way so that the rest yeah. goes together. And until you hear it, until it's read back to you, I mean, some, it's it's something every writer should at least try. At least that's my opinion. I don't. I, I think you're right. I I had the fortunate thing of writing screenplays for a little while, and I wrote them with a partner. And the way we did it is we just made up the lines and spoke them. Mm -hmm. And you 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 learn real quick. It's like wait. That looks okay on the page, but no, that ain't English. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> talks like that. I, yes. I, I have had that criticism thrown at me. And at first I was like, are you kidding me? And now it's like, yeah, yeah no human being would say that. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think we've experienced that in, in the corporate world through emails, right? You're like, oh my oh, gosh. gosh, that email was fine. Well, let me read it back to you. Yeah. <laughs> this is what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Your tone is way off on this. Yeah. yeah. It, it's my, it's uh... so hard, you know, with, with, with emails, especially with people who aren't like doing a million drafts, like it's easy to get, to get the tone, you know, just a little bit off and leave people very upset. I will say I did learn a valuable lesson about emails and work and it's assume positive intent. No matter what the email is, oh, that's nice. has the best intentions and there's no malice, yeah. there's no ego. And that has saved me more than, more than twice. And I know back when I was at a job that I did not like, and I would write emails asking for things. There was no ask in my email. There was, why isn't this here now? And the end is an exclamation point, not a question mark. Right. You know, but then, you know, I realized, I'm like, wait a minute. Why isn't it here now? Is there a reason why? Like, just, just, you put the back end on it and and you soften it a little and it's like, oh, I'm not starting a fight. I'm trying to get information. Yeah. I I was like, well, if if I can do it, someone else can. And if I assume positive intent. Oh, it's not here because of X. All right, then let's let's work on X. I know yeah. Bridget can uh, weigh in on this, but I think that's one of the lessons that gets reinforced if you ever do bartending is is like, <laughs> let's not you know fight with the customer. Let's get the customer what they yeah. want, and let's get right. me what I want out of that customer. You know, that's right. Yeah, let's yeah. Solve this you know? problem rather than than just sit here and butt heads and 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 yeah. strut around and show your ego. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many times I've been sending, I mean, I send so many emails all the time. My problem is the font size. There's something uh, wrong with my computer. Julie's laughing because I'll send it at like 11, but it gets to you at 36. So it looks like I'm <laughs> screaming at you and, I, and I'm not. <laughs> so yeah, it's all in your you know approach and emails are really tough, but I have to say, this is such a treat to have two amazing journalists on our little podcast today. And David, you know, we would love to hear from you, maybe some tips. I know we're, you know, you're definitely giving some amazing wisdom right now, but maybe some more tips on how, how you got started as a journalist, you know, what were some of the things that were red flags? What were some things that you wish you would, you would have known going in? Well, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff I, I, I wish I would have known. Cause I, went in through the side door, basically. Uh, I uh, started, started, uh, I was uh, studying to be a professor, and I started writing about music on the side just to keep my sanity. And I started writing this kind of crazy little uh, column for a zine. And uh, it, it led through people I knew to me getting uh, a job writing at the Village Voice, not about rock music, but about uh, old jazz records, because this was the uh, mid '90s, and this was the beginning of like CDs reissue everything. Now it's all streaming, but at, yeah. at this, uh, then it was it was on CD, and people were going through like 
the whole history of jazz and putting everything out on CD. And I liked that music. I was I was burned out on rock music because I'd been a musician for years and uh, and I failed to become a rock and roll star. And that made me bitter and angry about the whole thing. So uh, I was I was happy to uh, to write about jazz. And but I wrote about it in a real kind of rock and roll style. And so so one of the things I learned is do something that other people aren't doing, if at all possible, because it makes it easier. You don't have to be the best in the world if you're doing something different. You can be just good enough. And it's easier to be good enough than it is to be the best. You know, as long as you're doing something different, uh, it uh, it shows, you know, people people are curious Uh, if you're doing something that a lot of other people are doing, then you've got to be really good. And uh, you've got to work really hard. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a lazy person. I don't like to work that hard. So uh, I, I, I try to find places where I can do what I want. And, uh, you know, I, that's how I got into drink writing, which is just really weird. Um, it was the, the other, another really important lesson is, is just be really lucky. <laughs> <laughs> it's unfortunate. But, I, I can agree on that one. <laughs> you know, it, it, some things, there's no substitute. I I, I would not have a, a career right now uh, writing about drinks if I had to start right now. I'll tell you that much. Uh, when I started, uh, it was the beginning of uh, websites for magazines and stuff. They were all just running to have them. And mm. a friend of mine was in a kind of out of the way job that they gave him a big title, head of new media for Hearst magazines. New media was nobody really, they, they, the magazines had just started their websites. There were only a couple people working there. It was a fancy title for what at the time they thought was kind of a nothing job, but it turned out he got to hire people and Esquire needed somebody to uh, put one of their old drink books online because somebody had reprinted it and it wasn't them and they were a little pissed off about it so they said let's put it online but we need somebody to edit it and my friend josh uh, mac knew i liked to write about music and he knew i liked cocktails uh so so he called me up and said do you think you can do this and i was real busy i was an english professor i said no i don't think i can and he said well it it does pay three thousand bucks and I was a junior English professor with a with a uh, two year old, so I was like, "Oh, you know, I think I can do that." <laughs> and uh, and I took what I knew, which was like the history part, and put that in there. And people weren't there were a couple people doing that, but only a couple at, at the time. So I was very very fortunate that there was a hole that I could step into. And if there hadn't been a hole, it would have been a very different story. I'd still be uh, writing about jazz for somebody or and making no money at it. And so that would be my day. My, my day job would probably still be teaching English out on Staten Island or wherever, whatever I was doing. So I, I'm very... Not Staten Island. I was out on Staten Island. Where? Because I lived on Staten Island for... I, I, was, I was at uh, St. John's University on Toad Hill. Oh geez! Oh you were! Oh you were in there! I was in there! Oh yeah! <laughs> I I lived in uh St. George right by the ferry for. Oh yeah. I used to like taking the ferry. I knew I had to to leave that job for good uh, when the ferry was no more fun for me. 
I will say it is the best 28-minute 28, 28 nap one can take. Unbelievable. <sighs> you know, and you sit out, sit out and watch the harbor go by on a nice day. It's, yeah. it's so pleasant. It's, it's just lovely. But when, when, it, when, it, when it got to the point that I wouldn't even look up, I was like, okay, that was the part I liked about this job. <laughs> and now I don't even like that. So oh. I quit. That's fascinating. I mean, I think both of you, it's so interesting. You have so much in common with how you got started, Lincoln, right? I mean, yours was the opportunity through your friend and uh, introducing you as well. What, when do you feel like you really kind of took that step as a professional writer of spirits and, and bars and the, in the industry? What was that one that gig that kind of took you over? I'm going to say it was, it was an event that led to, that led to three pieces. I was at a uh, cocktail event at a little bar that's closed right now called Taylor, which became Lonnie Kai. I remember Taylor. Oh, great times at Taylor. Oh my goodness. Um, There was a, there was a cocktail event and Amanda Hathaway had gotten me in and I was writing about it, I think for like one of my first gigs at AM New York. And I met Brian Miller, um, Jimmy Han and Juan Codero. Oh, and Toby. That. <laughs> And the next week, my editor was like, do you want to interview, can you interview some bartenders and, and maybe, you know, try and get like their, their take on, on what's going on now? I'm like, yeah, I met a couple of, I can, I can ask. So my, like the first big interview was Jim Meehan just after PDT opened. So let's say like six, six to nine months after it opened. And then Brian Miller and then Juan. And it was just like, this is this is something. This is this is leading me in, in the best path possible. And side note, when I interviewed Jim, I uh, had my recorder. We were in the bar. We were in PDT, and he's telling me these great stories about how the cops trying to shut him down and, and, and all of this. And I'm like, oh, I got all of this great material. And you know, I leave. I head back to Staten Island. I'm on the ferry. I'm like, you know, let me just go over to the audio just to make sure everything's all right. And going through my bag, can't find my recorder. Ah, starting to panic. Check my pockets. I dump my bag on the on that wooden bench. <laughs> I'm freaking out. I get home. I call PDT. I don't get Jim. I get um. Oh my goodness, I can't remember the young lady's name, but she's like, oh, you know, I'll check. I'll look around. What booth were you sitting in? It was that front run right, right by the window. This woman cleared that bench out dug through, found it, and held it for me till the next day. I showed up the next day, just went in. I'm like, thank you so much. You've saved my life completely. I gave her a $20 tip just for being a a decent human being. And it taught me a valuable lesson. Always have two recorders. (laughs) (laughs) And, but it's like, it's, it goes to the prime example of how good the people are at PDT. Because I don't think, I don't think I would have gotten that done for me at Applebee's or, you know, Joe's bar down the corner. 
You know, this woman was like, you need me to do what? Oh, hold on for a minute. And did it. That's amazing. And it, and it goes to Jim, the hiring people like that. But mm-hmm. that's a side note. The, the main point is those three interviews, those were key in moving me forward. And not only showing people that I can write and I can, I have contacts, but showing me that, you know, this is something serious. It's something I want to put everything into. And yeah, it, it took off from there. Uh, right now I'm doing work for American Whiskey Magazine. And without those three interviews, I'm not there now. Right. That is that is so great. You know, I mean, for me personally, it's fascinating because I, you know, I've never had formal education in writing, but it's something that I've always been passionate about. And having a 10-year-old now with kind <laughs> of the computer digital generation you know, his handwriting is horrible and he doesn't, but yet he's brilliant. Right. And he can articulate anything and everything. Um, but he's not putting it on paper and it's something, you know, thank God for COVID because it gives you that time to really start diving into what they're learning in their work. And so we've really spent a lot of time about the importance of writing and and me personally, it's helped me so much in my life, get things that I need. Um, you know, uh, express my point of view within my careers, being able to write and get my point across. So I think it's so important. And I, and I would love to hear Lincoln and then you, David, about, you know, this digital age, right? Like everything's about instant gratification and less than 50 words and just two lines. And, you know, and we've got people like you that are so talented and Lincoln, like these articles that you write for these brands and all that you do, how does this kind of this demand or, or this, this era of influencers and, and people really just kind of looking at how many followers they have, like, how does that impact the work that you do and the opportunities that you're able to get? I can answer that, but I'm going to take a little side note. I'm going to take a little detour. Bad handwriting. I have the worst chicken scratch one could possibly imagine. I'm not telling my son that. He's not listening well, to this. <laughs> okay. All right. But, but he's not going to tell Paige that either. He tells me, well, doctors have bad handwriting. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Become a doctor and then you can have bad handwriting. Yeah. <laughs> you learn it in no. medical school. Yeah. It happens after yeah. you yeah. become a doctor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, I, I, I have horrible handwriting and. I don't love to see my handwriting on a page. And sometimes that stops me from writing, but because everything is more digital, I will type all day, every day, because I don't have to look at my handwriting. And side, side note, I used to be a lefty and I had teachers that would, what was it called? Oh yeah, the devil's hand. Everyone, oh geez. Uh, New, York, New York public schools. Yeah, early, early seventies. Yeah, no lefties, all righties, which is why I have bad handwriting. But to the other point, to your main point, you know what? Influencers and and looking at numbers and and, in regards to followers, I guess it works sometimes, but I got to be honest, I don't, that's, that's, it, it doesn't work for me. I've been on Twitter since day five. I have followers and I follow people. But it's a, it's a small herd of people that get where I'm going. It's a small herd of, of cocktail nerds, comic book nerds, cigar people, bourbon people. Like, 
that. So if it's under, if it's under 2000, I'm happy with that. I don't need, I don't, yeah, I don't need to have my numbers posted. Like, well, I have 10,000 Instagram followers. You know, I'm, I influence trends. I write about bars and cocktails. If you like it, you will be on board. If not, I'm, I, I, I wish you well. Amen. And I know, I know there are brands and PR firms that like, well, if you're under 5,000, we can't work with you. It's like, yeah, but here's the thing though. If you'd like me to get the 5,000, why don't you give me some work? Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, that, that might help. But again, like just, I know people, it's like, oh, I, I need it now. I need this and that. But there's also like, listen, you need it done well. You need it done correctly. Mm. And fast and first isn't always correct and great. I learned, I learned that a long time ago. I, um, the best slash worst example I have of it is Giuseppe and him leaving Suffolk Arms. I, I was like, oh, well, you, like I posted this horrible thing. Well, not horrible, but this, this delicate thing about him not being there anymore. And like I did it to be first. And then I thought about it. And I'm like, wait a minute. I know Giuseppe. He wouldn't just, this is like, it just like it clicked in my head that I was just racing to the finish line as opposed to presenting something smart, presenting it in, in a way that makes sense. So like I scrapped the whole thing and then I let people who have reported it report it. And then as the truth came out about everything, it's like, I'm so glad I, I stepped back. <laughs> I'm so happy. Yeah. But yeah. I was just like, oh, and, and this and that. I I was, I was, I was firing. I was, I was, I had like three paragraphs written and it was just. No, I can't. I it's it's not right. It's not, it's just it's a, it's all. Mm-hmm. It's not fact, you know, yeah. my emotions to a fun, to a fact fight. <laughs> oh my goodness. David, what about you? Because, you know, you, like you said, when you first started, it was really at the boom, right? Of the yeah. internet of websites. So you've seen a lot and we see so many of, and I don't like the word influencer, you know, it is part of our right. lingo now, but um, how have you I mean, th- seen things change for the better or for the worst? And how do you no, feel I, about I, I, I wouldn't have this career if it wasn't for the internet. I'm a, mm-hmm. my, my job is a creation of the internet age. So I'm not, you know, I'm not going to grumble too much because uh, it's proved very useful. Uh, there's stuff that I, I'm not on Facebook. I don't do Instagram. I am on Twitter. God knows too much, but I like to talk to my friends and, mm-hmm. uh, and make jokes with my friends. And that's basically why I do it. Although, you know, okay, I, I will like retweet the, the occasional political thing because I just can't help myself and I always <laughs> regret it, but it's like, God damn it, you know, but anyway, <laughs> that's the modern age and, you know, I guess we're all human, but for, for me, uh, the downside is there's a lot of that, like Julie was saying, a lot of that, you know, chit chat and just really contentless stuff uh, that's just up there for for clicks and, and etc but at the same time you know what you can get on the internet now i can get like archives of newspapers from 
London starting in 1700 uh, text searchable until like the 1990s. I can get like uh, stacks of old books. You know, uh, there's so much uh, richness that's also available. And I don't think you get one without the other. And would I, would I trade? Probably not. You know, I, I want, I want the books. I want the information. But uh, as we've seen in America, the problem with all that information is it's really hard to sort and it can really kind of mm -hmm. break your brain. Yeah. And so you got to be very careful about this stuff and about what you, you consider as information and what you don't. I mean, that uh, I'm fortunate, uh, although, you know, it was 10 years worth of work, but I got a, a I do have a PhD in, in comparative literature, which meant I spent years learning how to evaluate sources. And that's very helpful. You know, when they tell you that uh, if you don't work as a professor with your PhD, you know, you, you might as well be driving a cab. That's, uh, that's just wrong. It's, it's very mm -hmm. good training. It's a lot of money and a lot of time, but it's, it's very good training for things like evaluating information. So uh, that's, you know, what I try to do. I try to put this, uh, training I was fortunate enough to get, I try to put it to good work, uh, to good use and, and really evaluate information I see. I'm not always successful about it, successful with it. Nobody is, but you know, it's worth a try. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, nowadays everything is really available at our fingertips. I remember a day where you'd have to go to the library. You'd have oh, to yeah. check out. It's, I, I remember when my parents, we could afford encyclopedias. I yeah. was like 10 years old before that. We couldn't afford that. We had to get, we had library cards. And if we had to do something for school, mom took us to the library and you check it out and you look up whatever words you need to look up and then take it back. So you didn't get find a dime because <laughs> that's what uh, they would find. You know, my us, mom you know? was a librarian. So uh, I spent a lot of time in the library. <laughs> yeah. But now at this age where everything is yeah. at our fingertips and I'll start with Lincoln. Do you find it to be very challenging to come up with new content? Or something I, maybe that hasn't, you know, something that um, draws that reader in because everything is so accessible. I do. I some there are times I struggle for for new ideas, new new angles to write about. I like right now I'm trying to find a, a new bourbon that has not hasn't been discovered, but isn't. Can I use the word horrible? Yeah, it isn't horrible <laughs> to write about. Because the last thing I want to do is write about some, like, really get in-depth on some horrible bourbon that will never be around again. You know, it's like, oh, look, this is walnut-flavored bourbons. Mm. But, no. yeah, it's, it's, it is hard. And I think that's the challenge. Like, because once you find something, once you find that, that like, small nugget and, and you just dig deeper on it and it, you find so much. And then it's like, okay, I can open this up to, to everything and to everyone. And you're going to find... 10, 15 people that are like, oh my goodness, this is something I need to get my hands on. And they're going to tell two or three people and so on and so on. Um, but yeah, it, it is hard, but it's worth it. You know, just, just to dig and find something. I think okay. was too big of a word. Um, an undercut, uncut gem. Mm -hmm. Okay, an uncut gem. David, what do you think? Is it... You know, he just said, like, it sounds like half of the fun is digging for that treasure that you're going to uncover. 
and write about. Um, oh, I could research all day and you yeah. know, I could research all year and, you know, I'd be happy with one writing day and 364 research days. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, writing is hard. Researching is fun. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's like going fishing. Uh, and some days are frustrating. You don't catch anything and you spend all day fishing, but Hey, you just spend all day fishing, you know? <laughs> yeah. You're right, but you really don't catch any fish. But yeah. no, but I, who cares? You know, yeah. I spend all day fishing. You know, I spend all day reading like you know newspapers from uh, the 19th century and uh, poking around, and it was it was pleasant. And it, you know, you find all kinds of stuff on the side. You might not find what you were looking for, and that's frustrating. But uh, <laughs> just the activity is fun, and so you know, for me. Uh, uh, I, that I really, I really do enjoy researching, uh, and uh, uh, that is, uh, I mean, it shows in what I do. I think a little too much. Uh, I, the the one the the hardest lesson to learn is uh, don't put everything in, just because you found it, you know, yeah. and just because you want to show off that you found it, uh, don't put it in if it doesn't belong there. Make yeah, sure that's... whatever you put in an article or or a, or a piece or even a book, make sure it's there for a reason, and that reason isn't, "Hey, look at me." Yep, I yeah, I think we all have to learn that. That's one of the lessons that Amanda taught me. It's like I may get a, I may get a giggle out of putting that in there, but is anyone else? Is it relevant? Does it yeah. Does it matter? You know, I can make I can make inside jokes about mass all day every day, but. <laughs> only seven people are going to get it and yeah. you know like two of them don't drink bourbon so yeah probably not your audience well yeah. so i i noticed lincoln that a lot of your writings are are usually on behalf of magazines so just for our listeners and, and people that might be interested in in this side of the business um who usually hires you and and where do you usually get your work is it like through the brands or or through publications how does that work Okay, so this is, it's not, it's not a hard answer, but it's a, it's a slightly complicated answer. Actually, it's not. All of my jobs in regards to writing for magazines have been through the associations I have and a lot of very smart and talented women. It's... No, I don't think there's, yeah, there's never been a brand that said, oh, you need to hire this guy for this magazine. It's always been a magazine or someone at a magazine and said, hey, you know, you should come on board and, and write for us. Um, let's see. Phoebe Cavalier at American Whiskey reached out to me. Um, Amanda, reached, Amanda Schuster reached out to me for the alcohol professor. Like it was always... It was always the, the, the kindness and intelligence of, of a female editor that brought me on board somewhere. And, and rarely was it me reaching out to some publication to write for. I don't know if that answers you. No, it does. I, I mean, does. I think it's just, you know, we've had so many interviews with so many different people in all different aspects of the hospitality industry. And I feel like 
the one common denominator is, is the power of your relationships and connections and people, you know, and David, I guess you would say that's that luck, right? Is that somebody really recognizing you and being drawn to you and, and wanting to help make that connection, right? Like we're all connectors and that's really great to hear because I think, uh, our listeners and, and all of the brands that we're affiliated with, like, you know, having people like you that are out there that are so talented, like how beneficial that is to have, a, you know, somebody like you be able to tell a story about their brand and, and really, you know, make it relevant. I think it's, it's a great opportunity. I, I mean, that's one thing, if I could jump in, I, that I, I wish more bars uh, would do is uh, take advantage of their of their regulars. You'll find a lot of writers <laughs> among the regulars of nice cocktail bars. And, you know, if you're doing a menu, you could probably arrange uh, a nice little trade, you know, here, you'll, you know, come in and have some drinks and you could, and, and in return, if you wouldn't mind uh, checking the spelling on our menu and uh, <laughs> making sure that it looks professional, you know, yeah. uh, it's little things. It's not like it's a big job. That's not a big job. And that's the kind of thing that you can do on the bar, barter system. I've done that in the past and it's always been very pleasant for me because, uh, the bar world is such a community and uh, it's always great to uh, be able to do what you can to help the community, you know, and to, and, and as a part of that community. And uh, I, I always really, uh, really enjoy doing that, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, obviously nothing that it's a huge amount of work because then it runs into a job, but for little stuff like that, that's uh, the barter system like that is great. That's an awesome tip. That's a really good tip. So Lincoln, you know, we've got David on here. You mentioned um, actually in our first intro call when we had, and when Bridget had asked you about different people that have inspired you and that you would consider a mentor. And at that time you mentioned David. So we've been working behind the scenes to get David on. (laughs) And and I am just so pleased that we've been able to make this happen because I think it's just so special um, so Lincoln, what, what do you want to know? What do you want to ask David? And I know you guys have met before, but you know, what are, what are some things you want to ask? I would actually love to sit down with you and go over some of the older cocktail books and just like point out the A, bad writing, B, sexism in there. And, and just like, really like just get together and be like, okay, listen, this should not have been written this way. Um, I have a, I have, I have two books that I always go to for horrible sexism in cocktail. Oh, so much, yeah. Yeah, one is the one you recommended me, um, Ed McMahon's uh, handbook. Oh, yeah, his his guide to bar tricks. Oh my goodness! I mean, don't get me wrong, the bar tricks are nice, but like women are, are like not mentioned, and if they are, they're a punchline. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Punch. But- yeah. You know, it was, it's definitely, you, 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 you gotta just look at, at these things and say, you know, I'm never going to do it that way. <laughs> oh yes. And, and the other one, the, uh, the Esquire handbook for hosts, uh, circa 64, 67. Oh, the, the so, big thick blue one. Um, uh, mine isn't blue, but mine's brown, but yes, the thick one, the rectangular one. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's the 49 the one that's got like all the cute line drawings. And then there's the thick one by Roy Andres de Groot from the 60s. That one is is pretty tough. Yeah. Yeah. They're both pretty I tough always, on that. You know, it was Esquire. Yeah. Uh, like Esquire I always, I always, later years. Oh, thank goodness. But yeah, I always go to that. Um, wait, what's the one line? Um, women can't cook fish because. Oh, wait, women can't cook fish because women don't understand fish and vice versa. What? <laughs> Which makes no sense. And then, it makes no sense. Yeah. And then there's this, the other one. Um, a dessert without cheese is like a pretty girl with one eye. And it's like, yeah. what editor said that was okay to put in it? Like, well, you know, that was a, it was a boys club back in the day. Yeah. When, yeah, when I, I worked for, for Esquire from, 2000 till 2016 it was david granger was the editor who was uh he he kind of did it differently and the thing i was most proud of while working for esquire was the fact that it was the men's magazine that women read yes so i'd be Uh like i I was on an airplane once with uh, dale degroff and uh we were standing uh waiting in line for the for the for the bathroom there and i see on a a counter a copy of Esquire there and I I wanted to show him my article and I pick it up and uh, start paging to 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 show it and a flight attendant comes up and she yanks it out of my hand and said I'm sorry that's my magazine (laughs) (laughs) so sorry but then I you know said to Dale see (laughs) oh my gosh you know uh, Mm -hmm. because because it was uh, uh, under his watch it was a men's magazine, but with with often just a, like a real honest appreciation for women, not like oh, women look nice standing around here, yeah. you know. And and it was a little bit different. So uh, I was thankful for that. It made it uh, possible to to continue writing for them. But uh, oh, back in the day, no, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're talking about like yeah. the mad, the Mad Men era. Oh, and, bad. And, be, and before, yeah. I mean, that yeah. was the culture. Unfortunately, you know, that's something yeah. that we as women we had to, you know, live through. I know my mother has some really crazy stories working even at Argonne National Laboratory in the math lab. Oh, not, I can only imagine. And yeah. being, being one of the few female there, if you've ever seen that movie Hidden Figures, my mother knew those women, you know, wow. she was, she was their admin. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, I can just tell you a very quick story, um, not so much about journalism, but definitely about that era. And I remember my mom saying, you know, when she was pregnant with me at Argonne National Laboratory, they told her, <laughs> um, you know, you just, you're not coming back to work. So of course, all the women burned their bras. Uh. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> at the entrance yeah. right on nice <laughs> they used to say yeah. that's grandma yeah. that's grandma nancy she hasn't changed too much either oh, good so. for her good for her you nice. know? but it was just a different time yeah. you know it was a different time and thank goodness you know times are changing and we have this really beautiful moment that we're in right even even though we're in a pandemic where there's this great energy around inclusiveness and belonging. I am all for that. My Me God. too. Isn't it know, great? It's, like, it's it, you know, it's it was always just like a key for me. Like when I first started writing my bars um, for Edge, it was like, all right, so you're going to let this straight, large, black fellow into your gay bar. 
is he going to get treated nicely? Is he going to get like kicked out? And, and like, it, it wasn't like, Oh, the gays. It was just how well am I going to get treated? Am I going to get what is like, will I get categorized or will I get treated mm. everybody else? And that was one of the keys. It's like, one of the keys to like great hospitality is like, I don't care what color you are. I don't care what size you are. I don't care what team you bat for. What do you want? What can I do for you? Yes. Mm-hmm. How can I make you feel included? And cool. I will say a lot of the bars that I, that I went to and, and wrote about 90% of them were just like happy to have me happy to see people. Yeah. And uh, one of the best experiences I had was at cubby hole uh, lesbian bar in the village. And it was like open arms, come on in, hang out, have drinks, Love that. just chill. It was just, it's just one of those really good moments where it's like, this is what it's supposed to be like. You know, no one's giving me the side eye. No one's making sure I'm not like the bouncer isn't watching me the entire time I'm here. It's come on in, have some drinks. What do you need? And, and <laughs> that was just really a key for me. Well, you know, what, like, one uh, of the things. I learned about uh, from living in, in New York City since I was 18, uh, and that was a long time ago now, is that uh, unless it's a out-and-out pickup bar, uh, a gay bar is indistinguishable from an old man's bar. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a bunch of guys drinking, you know? Yeah. And, and, and usually everybody's real friendly and pleasant, and you can have a real good time. Uh, I, I still stop in at Julius's, you know, and I hope it comes through it the, the pandemic on the other side because that's yeah. a great old village bar you know what's it like inside it's like a great old village bar yeah you know, go in everybody's nice have a drink you know it's it's fine uh try the burger yeah <laughs> yep. i mean there i can i can honestly say there was one boy i went into where the bouncer followed me from back to front and it was just one of those moments it's like I'm going to get you a calendar and you're going to realize that it's 2019, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, why? Yeah. So. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's frustrating because sometimes us, right. in our generation and, and we hear about those things and I'm glad you, you shared some of those snippets on Twitter, Lincoln, you know, of, you know, some of that stuff that was um, kind of very sexist and, and racist writings and all kinds of stuff, right. From, yeah. in, from that era. And, you know, I think sometimes what I've really noticed this last couple of years with all everything kind of just coming up, coming out and exploding is that sometimes we take for granted because, oh, we are in this new generation. It is 2020. Like that stuff doesn't exist. It's it's gone. That was way before. But I think what we've all learned is a lot of it still does. And you can't just continually brush everything under the carpet and think that that's going to solve it. Right. It's like, you've got to put it out there. We got to learn our history. We've got to learn what's right. You've got to do the work. You've got to do the research and, and then all intentionally move forward and, and do what's right and make sure that we are inclusive and we're recognizing people by all their special gifts and talents and, and celebrate it. Cause there is so much to celebrate, especially on this call. Speaking, um, 
to celebrations is uh, I think both of you might have gotten a little gift from our good friends at Maker's Mark. Oh, yes. We did. I did. Yes. And I'm so curious to know because we were told that they wanted to send you guys something, but we don't know what's inside. So oh. could you let me know, Lincoln, what, what well, you got? And then David could tell us. All right. So I got the, the fixings for an old Cuban. Um, okay. I opened it last night and I was going to make one, but I was already two drinks into the old pal that I made <laughs> three before, you know, before going to bed might not be the best idea in the world. Uh, but no, I got a bottle of makers, uh, jigger, uh, all the fixings for it. They sent me mint, simple syrup, uh, limes and, a very nice rocks glass. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. And a very, oh, and a very, very sexy 3D paper print of um the distillery. That folds oh, out. that the pop-up, yeah. Yes. That thing is great. I can't even think today because you shocked me with David showing up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. well, you'll have to show us a picture of once you, yeah. once you make that old cube, and I'd love to see what that looks like. I promised Lucille I would make her drinks tonight. So I'm making, I'll take pictures. Nice. David, nice. What, did, what did they send you? Same thing. I, okay. I can't wait to, uh, to fix myself up something stiff. And uh-huh. uh, I feel kind of these days, like I need a good stiff drink, you know, at the end of the day, uh, just to, uh, to, 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 to throw a stick into the wheels so they stop turning so fast. Oh my goodness. And, uh, I mean, yeah. yes, yes. I'm looking nothing- forward to that. It's great. Yeah, it's nothing yeah, like uh, America's spirit, and especially Maker's Mark, just to kind of calm the soul. Yeah, this, that, that's a very calming bourbon. Yes, it is. It's not one of the the, 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 the jump you up bourbons. It's one of the cool you down ones. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was happy to get it. And it reminded me of the time I was I was down at uh, the Cooperage and we met Rob Samuel Sr. Mm-hmm. And his wife, Mitzi. Mm-hmm. And it's like 12 writers and we're all at, at his house and him and his wife are making drinks for had old fashions and nice. stones going down on their property. I want to say he's got a piece of property that looks out on not the Ohio river, but it looks out on a riverbed. And it was just one of those days where it's like, this is absolutely perfect. <laughs> Samuel senior is making me drinks. Mm-hmm. And- I'm, I'm chain smoking with his wife, Mitzi. I'll just sit around drinking and having this great time. I'm like, if it all ends right now, I'll be okay with it. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was just a perfect day. Aww. So, but yeah, but it reminded me of that. Cause I was looking at it. It's just like, that was such a good day. Just sorry. I can't wait to go back to Kentucky. I got to say it's been a while. I know I'm, I, I've been itching to hit the bourbon trail for yeah. the last two years. And I think once this is over, we'll see on I are doing like a nice, like four Cooperage, five distillery tour, sponsored by Uber because you know. Fantastic. <laughs> yes, well, I, I think Julie and I want to go with you. Yeah, and I think so we need to all one. talk about the schedules and and let us know when you're going to be there because that's definitely on the top of our list. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. Any any time I can get out of Shorewood these days yeah. in my little oh. town that has no high school hospital, like nothing. I'm, oh my goodness. I'm there. <laughs> oh my I'm goodness. I'm there. But listen, we we are so grateful, Julie and I, that that you've both 
joined the show today. Lincoln, thank you so much for your energy. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and for your stories. And uh, we just appreciate you so much, you know, especially being such a good sport as we brought our friend David Wandrich on to just kind of <laughs> shock the pants right off you. So I, I am pantsless right now. We only get a headshot here, so we're all good. Yeah, yeah. It's COVID. I'm wearing slippers. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what are you going to do? I and have pants in six months. <laughs> David, thank you so much for being an awesome sport, for coming on and, and just sharing. Such a pleasure your love for your craft and connecting with us really appreciate it guys. And Julie and I, you know, we, we wish you just really great health right now. So much joy and a lot of peace. So thank you. Well, thank you. Right back at you. All those things. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. It's, uh, it's great to see your faces to see, you know, I, I, I really miss seeing my friends and it's always, uh, it, it's so good. So it's so good. I can't wait till we uh, we can sit around and clink glasses together. All right, same here. Same here. Right, Cheers. Take care. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers.